1: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
2: 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike?
0: to begin with
3: everything putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do one great rock show can change the world Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music
0: critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Kott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today in the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I dive into the theatrical world of progressive rock. We talk to author Charles Snyder about one of rock's most obsessed over genres. Plus, we'll review the latest from alt-rock veterans, Weezer. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time to welcome our newest affiliate.
3: Yes, Mr. Cott, whenever a new station adds us from uh, somewhere across this fine country, it is exciting for us to pay homage by playing some great music from that place. And we are really stoked to now be on on KXT in North Texas, 91.7 FM in Dallas, this wonderful new music station being started by public radio down there. We, we love Texas. You know, we get to go every year for <laughs> South by Southwest. But we love Texas music. I think that's our biggest attraction. And Dallas, you know, I mean, geez, everybody from Lead Belly, to Tripping Daisy and the Polyphonic Spree crew to St. Vincent, who was a guest on Sound Opinions earlier this year. Wonderful guest. We want to play something, though, that really sums up the spirit of Dallas, and we both instantly said Erica Badu. Born in South Dallas, still giving back to that community with her beautiful love, incorporated nonprofit development, a.k.a. blind, and uh, one of the most important voices in R&B in the last two decades. Just a wonderful spirit and a great musician. So here in honor of KXT taking a chance on Sound Opinions is uh, Erica Badu with On and On.
0: Erica Badu with On and On. Welcome to KXT in North Texas. Who am I? What's my name? Who else but Snoop Dogg, Jim? You knew that song. That was a classic song from about 20 years ago, produced by Dr. Dre, and he is the subject of our first news story. Beats by Dr. Dre headphones are going to be a featured item in a new section of Best Buy stores across the country. Get this, I mean, Best Buy is shrinking its uh, compact disc section. Every time you walk in there, it seems uh, there are fewer CDs available. But they are opening new sections in their stores devoted to DJ and dance music culture. They're going to sell consumers audio, music, entertainment, and technology products related to DJ culture. Dr. Dre is going to be at the forefront with his headphones there. He's also going to be making some appearances at Best Buy stores along with Will I Am and Lady Gaga. A, a burgeoning area of the music industry, the, the turntables as an instrument replacing the guitar. We just saw the advent of the DJ Hero video game in response to uh, both Rock Band and Guitar Hero video games. You know, you you know that hip hop culture has gotten mainstream when Best Buy is starting to market well, it. Well, no, I knew
3: when you started sporting those Dr. Dre headphones every time we recorded <laughs> along with your Sean John fashions and and drinking that fifty cent vitamin water. Uh, but we have another story actually stemming from that same song. You know, the best part of "Who Am I?" "What's My Name?" is, of course, when Snoop Dogg goes "Bow wow wow, yippee yo, yippee a!" Right? <laughs> well, there has just been a lawsuit against the Chicago group Public Announcement by George Clinton's publishing company. Clinton, of course, wrote Atomic Dog. He was one of three writers on that song, from Whence Comes Bow Wow Wow, Yippie Yo, Yippie A. He's on top of being sampled. You know, Parliament Funkadelic is one of the most sampled acts in history in the hip-hop world, and George tries to get his piece, as Mm -hmm. he should, of every song that uses his stuff. Apparently, public announcement didn't clear their interpolation of Bow Wow Wow, Yippie Yo, Yippie A, and now they've been successfully sued by Clinton's publishers for $89,000 dollars in damages. There are a lot of these lawsuits. We we can't even begin to cover all of them. The thing that jumped out at me about this one is that, quote, it confirms, according to the attorneys, that even the use of the word dog, if used in an unusual way, can be an original part of a composition and protected under copyright law. Oh, my God. So listen, dog, you better watch your step (laughs) there or you're going to be running afoul of copyright. Yes, Mr. Cot, that fanfare, that bombast can only be one band. That is Emerson, <laughs> Lake, and Palmer, one of the cornerstone bands of the first tidal wave of progressive rock in the 1970s. That's from their uh, pictures at an exhibition album where these three... British rock virtuosos are covering Mussorgsky. It's classical music. It aspires to be capital A art, but it's even better because it's rock and roll.
0: We, we chuckle sometimes and you, you know you can hear me chuckling as you're saying that. You have to laugh at ELP. The there's got to be a tongue-in-cheek element to it. you know. Progressive rock has a reputation among certain elements of the rock school as cheesy music. It's, it's pretentious. It's made by a bunch of uh, virtuosos who only care about how many notes they can fit into a few bars. At the same time, it keeps coming up over and over again on sound opinions. It remains a foundation of a lot of today 's music when you think about a huge range of bands, uh, decebris from from Portland, an indie rock band, mastodon, an, an Atlanta hard rock band, metal band, tortoise, an instrumental band out of Chicago, built to spill guitar based band out of the West coast. They all reference progressive rock we 're going to give you a definition of progressive rock here in a minute, but we 're talking about that era, that first era of progressive rock when we had Huge bands like Genesis, King Crimson, yes, you mentioned Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, Pink Floyd. all Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull, all steeped in progressive rock when this was still a new genre. What was going on at that time? We want to get to the heart of the matter and I think demonstrate, much like we did with the disco show, despite the fact that sometimes people turn it into a punchline, there was music of a lot of merit made at the same time within this genre. Absolutely. We love to do these genre
3: dissection shows from time to time and look at the origins of a sound that is now taken for granted and is sometimes even laughed at. The key period of progressive rock starts with Sgt. Peppers by the Beatles and Flowers through the next 10 or 15 years and pretty much is over by the end of the 70s, although there is a thriving underground still today. That period produced a lot of great music and some bad music, but hey, any period in rock history does. So what do we consider progressive rock? It has a couple of hallmarks, all of it, no matter how diverse it is. It's visionary and experimental. It's attempting to express big ideas in the music. Hence, you often get the concept album, the double, the triple album, okay? It's played by musicians who really know their instruments and are, in fact, virtuosos. Sometimes they go too far, but at other times (laughs) they're doing incredible things, like going to Switzerland just to record a church organ, because that's the sound that's going to make this song. It is very English, very, very British. We're going to be talking about primarily British bands, because even when Americans or, or Germans or French played progressive rock, they tried to be British. I don't know. Everybody (laughs) had to be in the court of Henry VIII, okay? There's a particular Britishness, whether you're talking about all that history of the Celtic Isles and and wood nymphs and fairies and the, the love of nature or the mythology. That permeates it, along with the final aspect, which is It's romantic. Like psychedelia, you're attempting to escape the everyday, to transcend the ordinary, to go sail on topographic (laughs) oceans, to conquer mysterious mountains on Mars, to go somewhere in your imagination. Now, if you can do all that stuff and still rock hard and deliver great melodies, just like any three-minute punk song, well, that's a pretty good trick in my book. We're going to celebrate progressive rock with a Chicago author, Charles Snyder, who has just written a great one stop primer. You want to know what this stuff is? You want to know which albums are worth hearing? I would turn to his book, The Strawberry Bricks Guide to Progressive Rock, just published last year. Charles, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thank you, guys. Let's start at the beginning. You know, this is a a genre name that Greg and I drop a lot. I think a lot of people aren't really familiar, or maybe they know only the biggest names. You know, your Yes, your Genesis, your Rush, or whatever.
2: Let's start with a definition. How would you define progressive rock? You know, in the book, I talk about three things that make up progressive music. The first is virtuosity in execution. The second is virtuosity and composition. And then the third is, it's music that requires the attention of the listener. So so if you go to the very beginning, you have the Sgt. Peppers. Mm-hmm. What the Beatles did is, you know, they got off the road and they ensconed themselves in Abbey Road Studios. And they made music. And really, the Beatles story is the story of progress in in music. And then you have the white lab coats, you know, at yeah. the beginning. And, you know, okay, boys, we're going to do two takes. And... By the time they got to Revolver and Sergeant Pepper, they owned the place. I mean, they were the ones that were, you know, like, let's play that backwards. Let's, let's you know, run that over, you know, sideways around. And, you know, really with Sergeant Pepper's, it was, it was a monumental album. I mean, it's, you had this piece of art that really there wasn't a lot like that. Now, that was the springboard for literally all the progressive bands. They said, I want to make that album.
3: Well, the key word I think you said, Charles, was art. From that point on, rock bands got the idea that we're not just gonna put out singles or even collections of good songs. We can make something that's art.
2: Absolutely. And and you had a generation too. It's very it's very funny. If you look at the men, and it's very much, you know, a male dominated genre, but if you look at the men that made progressive rock, they're born in the nineteen forties to the early nineteen fifties. I mean it's a very discreet generation of men. They grew up with the very dawn of rock and roll. So, you know, they kind of were young boys, young teenagers, and they heard the American rock and roll of the 50s, so they got excited by that. But they also had classical training, and they knew how to play the piano. I mean, the keyboard is very central to progressive rock because... The, the range of sounds that you get out of that, you don't get out of a guitar, mm. right? And the type of compositions you make with a keyboard, you don't won't necessarily make with a guitar either. And Keith Emerson is kind of the first progressive rock star. Here's a guy that he saw Jimi Hendrix and said, I'm going to do that with a Hammond organ. Mm. And, you know, he stuck the knives in, he, you know, <laughs> the feedback, he threw the thing on the ground and, and he went crazy. First with the nice. First with the nice, very... You know, very underrated band. Um, maybe if you listen to their albums, you kind of realize why they're they're underrated. But 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 the beginning of it, I really look at you know two bands: the Nice and Procol Harum. You know, here's bands that were. This is proto prog It's coming out of the psychedelic era, and they're starting to add more composition skills to their recordings. And in Procol Harum, you have Inheld Twas I, which is your pretty much your first album sidelong piece. the moody blues were also of that era mm-hmm. um, that album it's a pretty pretentious album days of future past but you know they were striving for art i mean if you look at the record itself because you know the record is also important i mean going back to sergeant pepper is that they wanted to create you know from the album sleeve to the, to the music on the mm-hmm. album they wanted to create something that was grand and i think that's a really kind of a good word for that early stage of progressive rock is that it wasn't a three-minute pop song It, it was something that progressed from that and it took all their influences and all their talents and they made big pieces of music
0: i think that the sort of the willingness to be pompous and ridiculous that attitude seemed to be much more prevalent in those uk bands and european bands in general as opposed to the american bands who were kind of scoffing at the idea that rock and roll could be anything more than, you know, the three-minute single.
2: I mean, ELP to me is a band that, you know, they, they have some great records, but, you know, they're kind of a lot of what was wrong with that genre is that, you know, they Greg Lake and his carpet, that, you know, he would only sing mm-hmm. on a carpet. Or, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. whether these are, you know, whether this is myth or it's a real story, you don't really, you know, who knows. But these bands knew what they were doing was over the top. And, you know, they kind of chuckled inside and said, yeah, look at this. 20-minute hmm. drum solo, and right. the drum's going to go up on a riser <laughs> and turn around. Right. Or
3: you're Rick Wakeman and you're putting on a cape you know, that makes you look like Henry VIII. You you are aware that that's a rather silly thing to do. Absolutely. Now, why did you hone in on 67 to 79 as the particular heyday?
2: When you left the psychedelia of, of 1967, that here's where – the music industry is changing a lot. And, you know, you have people that actually were investing into bands. I mean, the Genesis story is is very much the old school tie. They get to record a, their, their first album from Genesis to Revelation. Not a really interesting album, but I think they were teenagers when they made it. Yeah. And then 1970, they all moved to a uh, – farmhouse and they start working on trespass and you know he imagined that you know they got they left their public school charter house and said to their parents we're going to be rock stars mm-hmm. they started recording this music and a guy named Tony Stratton- Smith said I'll write the checks and he let him go
1: I'll cost trespass when no wolf may tread, the lost sacred horn of the dead. he all the truth only
2: What's actually kind of interesting about, as you get to 1970, is these bands were they were making their own music, and and when you look at you know a band like Genesis or King Crimson or Yes. This is really original music. This is—it doesn't necessarily sound like anything else. It sounds
3: like their own music. And in the old school European tradition of kings and castles and such, it has patrons paying for them to live for six months in a cottage and make something freaky and weird.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, yes, yes's story is signed by Atlantic Records, um, supposed to be the next Led Zeppelin. Didn't really turn out for the first couple albums, but. They kept on writing the checks and all of a sudden they came up with the Yes album.
1: Yesterday, a morning came, a smile upon your face. Caesar's palace, morning, glory, city, human race. On a sailing ship to nowhere, leaving any place. If the sun had changed to winter,
2: Next album was fragile, close to the edge. I mean, it, you know, their their career kind of skyrocketed, so that that really paid off for Atlantic Records to hang in there, give them another record, you know, and say, hey, develop it, guys. Let let's keep going.
0: going to continue our progressive rock conversation with charles snyder after a short break on sound opinions from chicago public radio and american public media and later on jim and i are going to review the latest album from weezer
3: Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We are discussing the larger-than-life world of progressive rock with Charles Snyder, author of The Strawberry Brick's Guide to Progressive Rock. Charles, you have the high point of the genre coming in the mid-70s. So the question is, why did it hit the wall at the end of the decade about 79?
2: To me, the answer is kind of simple. It just ended. And if you look at that time frame, men in their 20s are kind of a formidable prospect especially when it comes to rock and roll <laughs> and by the time you get to 1979 they're in their 30s they mm. had families they had children they had divorces they had you know life changed for them well it's a big mortgage
0: when you have a castle well, with a moat. well yeah, let me absolutely let me posit another theory and i think you sort of address this in your book charles you know you talk about this whole idea of, of the rules suddenly being there to be made up You suddenly go from this limitation of everything's got to be three minutes and fit fit on a a single side of a 45 RPM record to you can take an entire album or you can take three albums and make whatever you want (laughs) in in this huge canvas. It's suddenly multiplied. So you had all these new tools that were being introduced, nobody really quite knowing how they would fit in the context of rock and roll. So any major artistic changing point in the last century, I think, has sort of been part of these really fluid times where the rules weren't there and and these guys really were creating the rules and by the time the late 70s came along it sort of became codified it's like okay now we kind of know what the palette is and now we're just repeating ourselves yes had to 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 sound like yes and genesis had to sound like genesis
2: what do you do when you fill up an album side of music i mean you you can't go anymore i mean (laughs) you know yes did it they tried to do four sides of music didn't really turn out that well i mean and so at some point i think the audience changed too The people that buy records in 1977, you kind of didn't want to buy a Yes record anymore because here was something, you know, be it your Wire album or your Sex Pistols, Buzzcocks, you know, the bands like that. This was a little more visceral too. I mean, the one thing that progressive rock did kind of lose at the end was this is rock and roll.
3: Although it is fascinating that that last burst in 78, 79, it's as if these old rich You know, sort of bored with everything, guys, listened to the punk rock that was coming out. You know, Johnny Rotten famously wearing a I Hate Pink Floyd Mm -hmm. t shirt, and they all gave it one last gasp to add more energy. You know, animals by Pink Floyd, and to some extent the wall, you know, have an edge that Pink Floyd hadn't had for 15 years.
2: And then then they were all done. It's, there was a burst at the end. And, you know, the other thing we forget is these were great musicians, too. These were guys that they knew their craft. They knew their art. So when you moved into the 1980s and Genesis said, well, you know, we're not going to make trickers of the Tail. We're not going to make any money off of that. We need three-minute songs so we can sell millions of records. They did it. And the funny thing is, of the major bands that, you know, went through the 70s, they all sold more records in the
0: 80s. Did America ever catch up with Europe when you know, it came to this kind of music? Probably
2: not. You know, there, there are Kansas
0: fans. Um, <laughs> uh,
3: Sticks.
2: I always thought Sticks was a little more kind of Broadway music. Yeah. Really I, was I, I chose and roll, to never but... think about Sticks, and I'd like <laughs> to continue that. But Kansas made one great album, uh, or Left Overture, you know, with yeah. the big hit, Carry On My Wayward Song. But when you look at America, there's not much of this music. That comes from America There was a lot of Me Too bands But For whatever reason It's very much A, a British thing um, At the beginning And then the Europeans
3: Let's put you on the spot Charles Tell us uh, Three of your favorites That if you had to go To the desert island You would take
2: I think one of the first ones I would take Was an album By the Pretty Things Called SF Sorrow Ah yeah it Recorded At the same time That Pink Floyd And the Beatles Were, were creating Their masterworks Of 1967 Ten
1: weeks now Number three stood- Nobody thought there would be family left up behind the windows or a Christmas tree. Then a couple from up sorrow and his wife arrived before the sun had left the streets. They were living inside.
2: Amazing sounds created in Abbey Road, and it was also one of the first rock operas. Pete Townsend quotes this album, you know, why he made Tommy. You have, you know, like Kraftwerk Autobahn is is probably another one of my favorite records of all time.
3: And you'd consider that progressive rock?
2: It's not necessarily prog rock like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer is, but it's progressive in that here you had these men of this generation that were saying, look, let's make rock music but let's make it our own you know let's let's extend everything
1: fun 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 the Autobahn.
2: I think Brian Eno was the one that said um, that you know progressive rock is kind of the the end of a genetic line. So a lot of these bands they didn't necessarily influence people like I want to make music like that. A lot of it was the reverse, like I don't want to make music. <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Craftwork, I think, is one band that one of the more influential bands of, of the 70s and you know one of my, my third you know record I pick is probably Close to the Edge by Yes You mm. know, they're, they're, they're masterwork, and you know you listen to the, the tones on those records from a, a Mellotron or a Hammond organ or a Rickenbacker bass and they're sublime I mean they're really kind of amazing sounds and you can kind of see why now somebody says hey you know that growl of, of the Hammond running through a, a Leslie speaker that sounds cool there's something visceral about that
3: we been talking progressive rock and geeking out in a wonderful way with Charles Snyder, author of Strawberry Brick's Guide to Progressive Rock. Thanks for coming on the show,
2: Charles. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Fred.
3: You're listening to Sound Opinions. Some great picks there from our guest, author Charles Snyder. But, Greg, you know, it's our show. We don't want to let Charles have all the fun. You and I usually wrap up these genre conversations by each picking one song that we think epitomizes that sound. Why don't you go first? What do you got for us in the terms of great prog rock?
0: Well, Jim, I think I'm going to start with uh, ground zero for me in a lot of ways. Where does progressive rock begin? Uh, Even though there were elements of it, as we talked about with Charles, uh, throughout the latter part of the rock era in the 60s, I think a lot of people point to King Crimson's 1969 debut album, In the Court of the Crimson King, as sort of the beginning of the movement, the official beginning of the movement. For one thing, this band readily embraced that term, progressive rock. Mm -hmm. This, This is who we are, this is what we do, and they've never shied away from it over the years. The one core element in King Crimson throughout its long, fractured history has been the guitar player Robert Fripp, an incredibly intimidating individual, if you've ever met him personally, And at the same time, one of the great guitar players of his time. I think he belongs right up there in the pantheon with anybody you can name in the British rock movement from that era. You know, whether it's Peter Green or Eric Clapton or Jeff Beck. Fripp belongs in that conversation. And his guitar was at the core of that sound. The band in its original lineup included Greg Lake, who later went on to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Palmer. And and Fripp recruited him. He said, we need this guy in the band. He's a great bass player, great singer. He's going to help me flesh out some ideas here. Ian McDonald was also a key to the band. Uh, Charles talked about the importance of the keyboards in progressive rock, and in King Crimson, they were a defining element in the sound. McDonald was playing, in addition to uh, flute, clarinet, sax, he was playing that Mellotron, which was a very big part of their sound, queuing up those orchestral sounds as samples on this keyboard. A Mellotron's
3: an extraordinary instrument, we should explain. Yes. It, you know, it looks like an old upright piano, but inside, are every key triggers a different length of tape, mm-hmm. reel-to-reel tape, and you have violins or horns recorded on that tape. It's the most primitive, futuristic instrument you'd ever think of.
0: Yeah, it's like having a 100-piece orchestra on the cheap in the studio with you. You know, on little tapes. Yes, exactly. And and Michael Giles on drums. What I loved about this band, I think it blows up a lot of the stereotypes about what people think progressive rock is. For one thing, the the level of aggression in this band, even at the time it came out in 69, blew people away. Pete Townsend of The Who, who was in a pretty aggressive rock band himself, mm-hmm. absolutely loved this debut record. And it went on to have an uh, incredible amount of influence. It, it went gold in the United States. It went to number three in the British charts. So despite the The fact that it only had about five songs on it, each of considerable length, it was a commercial success as well as a critical. And uh, influential type of record. The track I'm going to play opens up the album. It, it is the opening burst of the progressive rock era, 21st century schizoid man. And, you know, you mentioned that some of this music was, was sort of fantastical and, and talking about other worlds. This song was very specific in, in targeting a certain politician <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who happened to be Spiro Agnew, the vice president of the United States at that time. The lyrics by Pete Sinfield, he was the, uh, the fifth member of the band at the time. And yeah, he, the mysterious writer out Outside the group. Credited not only with lyrics, Jim, but illumination on this record. <laughs> what, whatever that means. But listen to the distortion on Lake's vocals and the distortion on Fripp's guitar and, the fa- and how it races alongside McDonald's saxophone in the instrumental break. I think you're going to hear something that uh, kind of explodes a lot of those stereotypes about exactly what progressive rock was. 21st Century Schizoid Man from King Crimson's 1969 debut album on Sound Opinions. 21st Century Schizoid Man, my example of a great progressive rock track by King Crimson. Uh, Jim, what do you got for us? Well, Greg, I'm going to play something from the other end. Uh,
3: 21st Century Schizoid Man, obviously, is, is a good choice for pretty much ground zero, day one of progressive rock. By the late seventies it was petering out. Mm-hmm. These bands had become corporations more than they were organic units anymore. And Prague has gone on to have another life with a lot of different sections of the underground, you know, whether you're talking to Mars Volta and Tool or something like the Decemberists, or a lot of actual Prague bands that proudly take that name, Spock's beard or Porcupine Tree. Mm-hmm. They all have similar names, you'll notice, right? (laughs) Punk put the the, the stake through the beast. There's just no way of denying it. When John Lydon surfaced with an I Hate Pink Floyd t-shirt leading the Sex Pistols and, you know, people were mocking the excess at a time of economic collapse of these bands, you know, traveling to Montreux and then going across the world to the Bahamas just to to record one instrument in a studio and all this silly stuff. You know, it was hard to take Prague seriously anymore. There was a great last gasp, though. Some of the best proga. Albums were inspired by the energy that punk brought to the UK rock scene in the uh, 77 78 period. And so you had great final Jethro Tull albums like Heavy Horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've made a lot of records since, but that's the last great one in my book Genesis doing, and then there were three, and then they kind of fall off the map, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, the quintessential progressive rock band doing Going For The One. It was their eighth studio album, and it was uh, the first in some time to broach the top ten. They had gone over the edge with endless morass albums like Tales from Topographic Oceans, which I I love this band and I could never even listen to that one. All of a sudden, they pare things down to five minute, six minute songs, which is still you know by punk standards, you get three songs in that period, right? But by yes standards, this was like stripped down, bare minimalist. That was one thing that happened. Another that happened was that Rick Wakeman, the single most (laughs) ludicrous character in all of progressive rock, wearing capes and playing 14 keyboards simultaneously some with his toes right <laughs> uh, you know he's just a silly guy and he came back and it brought a burst of energy and the songwriting just jumped forward one of the things about progressive rock is is the lyrics age badly even for bands that are still going on and, and vital concerns like Rush mm-hmm. okay you talk to Neil Peart today and he really disavows some of the lyrics he made when the band was at its most progressive so he straddled the line between metal and prog you know he's embarrassed now by 20 112. Me, I think that's some of his best stuff, okay? Yeah. But John Anderson never apologized to nobody. He has some of the stupidest lyrics in rock history. <laughs> Great words of wisdom like mountains come out of the sky and they stand there. What is the the song Going for the One, the title track of this album about? I have no idea. Listen to this. Going for the One. Listen in time. Taken so high. To touch, to move. Listen to life. I mean, what are you singing about, John? I have no idea. But it rocks. It's really tuneful. It's just, this is it's just a kick butt song and I love it. Here is yes at the very end of the first prog wave, 79 with going for the one. one, two, a one two, three, four.
0: That's Yes with Going for the One on Sound Opinions, one of Jim's favorite progressive rock songs. And that wraps up our genre exploration for this week. If you've got a comment on what we just talked about in regards to progressive rock or anything else in the rock world, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. You can also send us an email at interact at soundopinions.org or connect to us on Facebook. We're going to be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with a review of the new Weezer album as well as Jim's Desert Island jukebox pick. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, and that's a new song by the band Weezer called "If You're Wondering." If I want you to, I want you to. <laughs> it's from their eighth studio album called *Ratitude*. This band's been around since '94. Uh, Big uh, debut record in the midst of the alternative rock/slash grunge era with a sound uniquely their own. Uh, A couple of big hits from that era, Undone, the Sweater Song, and Buddy Holly. uh, Equally clever videos as well. The songwriting of Rivers Cuomo has defined this band since that era. Clever lyrics, heartfelt lyrics, singing about his uh, difficulties with just uh, dealing with uh, everyday life, girlfriends, life in general, married with heavy guitar riffs, and soaring melodies got him on commercial radio, they followed up that 94 debut album with an album called Pinkerton, which was not received as well commercially, and caused Cuomo to somewhat back away from music for a number of years. He ended up going to to Harvard and and pretty much gave up his music career. During the time he was away from the music world, Pinkerton took on a life of its own. A huge cult following developed around this band. And when Weezer finally returned to recording and touring in the early part of this decade, there was a huge audience ready for them to come back. Suddenly this band became an arena rock level touring act. They released a string of albums since then. Ratitude is their latest. More of a pop-oriented sound. We're going to talk about it. In a second, but let's play a song from it first. You've heard it before on Sound Opinions, but we played it in a radically different version last year. It's an unusual collaboration between Cuomo and Jermaine Dupree, the singer, songwriter, producer from the RD world, on a song called Can't Stop Partying. Here it is on Sound Opinions.
3: Weezer with Can't Stop Partying from album number eight for them, Ratitude, R A D I Tude. I love that. Ratitude. That's <laughs> my favorite album title of the year. And uh, Mr. Cott, as you said, we had played that when we reviewed the uh, Cuomo uh, solo album collection of demos. Radically different, quiet, acoustic version. Now it's been pumped up. It's got more of a dance beat. He's got a cameo by mm. Lil Wayne that exists for the whole reason yeah. of him saying, Wheezy and Weezer together, you know? <laughs> I just love it. Rivers Cuomo is one of the smartest people in rock and roll today. And not only because he has gone to Harvard not once, but twice twice. He loves popular music. You and I fought one of the fiercest battles we've had in recent years is over the merits of Weezer's last album, the Red Album so called, the third self-titled album of their career. I was blown away by that song Heart Songs, which was about falling in love with popular music, even the awful stuff. Now I think Cuomo's been thinking for a long time about where Weezer fits in. Here's this band with two decades of history, one of the few alternative era survivors still standing and still filling arenas. Where does he fit into this strange world? Especially as someone who's very private and, you know, a geek, right? You know, he's not a pop star, and yet he's been fascinated with pop stardom. He's been writing songs of late for Katy Perry. They cover Lady Gaga in concert these days. He's collaborating, as you said, with Jermaine Dupri. I think he's trying on all these different... Uh, bits and pieces of pop, flotsam and jetsam, and bringing them back to Weezer and seeing how far afield can we play with these forms of pop songcraft circa 2009, and still make it Weezer. Because this is a Weezer album. It's it, it's it's hitting on everything from Bollywood to what we would consider a classic Weezer song, like that single we heard in the beginning. And as far as I'm concerned, it, it's a little unfocused, but it's all brilliant. It's a good time Weezer record that I would recommend. Buying.
0: Well, one of the things that I disliked about that record that we discussed from last year, the Weezer uh, self-titled record of 2008, was that it appeared to me that uh, Cuomo, in, in exploring these adolescent dreams and fantasies and going back to what it felt like to be a teenage boy again, was patronizing. He was somewhat disconnected from that time in his life, and he was pandering to his audience in a way here he was this guy pushing 40 married has a kid and still talking about this 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 16 year old life that he was living i think with ratitude i I hear a a radical difference in that approach in that he is still talking about what it feels like and what it means to have those adolescent dreams and there's sort of a, a melancholy to it and i think the key song is can't stop partying even though you've got that bigger dance beat on it there is still an undeniable sense of melancholy. The party's leaving the station, and it's leaving him behind, Mm. you know? And in a way, I see that as a sort of a loss of innocence record, comparable to some of the work that uh, Brian Wilson was doing in the 60s. It's sort of that same theme that Pet Sounds had. And I think that emotional content is what raises the bar for me on this record. And as a result, whereas I hated that 2008 record, I do recommend buying this one. That's a double buy it on the
3: Sound Opinions patented scale of buy it. Burn it. Trash it. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Just to cast
1: away, island lost at sea, oh. Now I'm Sandy on my own. Sandy, far from home. Come on. Do you remember? We were shipwrecked together. Sandy, I'm the so fucker home. Sandy, yeah,
0: mama. As often as possible on this show, we like to take a trip to the desert island and pop a quarter in the jukebox to play a song we cannot live without. And this week, it is Jim's turn.
3: Greg, thinking about Weezer in order to review their new album made me think of another band from the same period in time with a lot of similarities. Tuscadero was a group from that Washington, D.C., Fertile Underground. They were originally signed to Teen Beat Records, put out a bunch of singles and EPs, and then their first album in 1994. At the same time, Weezer put out the Blue album. Their album, Tuscadero's, was called The Pink album. And there there were a lot of similarities, just like Rivers Cuomo was writing on that first Weezer record about uh, his obsessions when he was 13 or 14. So were the two young women in Tuscadero, Melissa Farris and Margaret McCartney. They're writing about how much they love candy and how much they love board games. They're fantasizing about what it might be like to put on leather and and, and pretend (laughs) to be a dominatrix. And, you know, the name of the band itself comes from Happy Days. There was Pinky and Leather Tuscadero right on the show. They were the female version of Fonzie, if you recall. So the name of the group comes from there and there's a wonderful song on here called Leather Idol, which is about how cool Leather Tuscadero was. This came out and it got a lot of buzz in the underground, this first album, the Pink album. Elektra Records signed them up, scoop them away from Teen Beat. This is your classic 90s story, mm-hmm. right? Everybody was looking for who's going to be the next Nirvana Who's going to be the next Green Day Who's going to be the next Weezer Tuscadero had their shot They cleaned up that first album Put it out in a glossier version for Electro Records Got one crack at a second album were dropped like a hot potato when they didn't become the next big thing and they were never heard from again. There are dozens of bands like this from the Alternative Explosion and it's it's fun to crate-dig today mm-hmm. uh, to, to kind of ferret them out. I'm waiting for the great Nuggets-style compilation of forgotten 90s Alternative Heroes. High on my list would be the women in Tuscadero. I love this song. It's called Leather Idol by Tuscadero from the Pink album on Sound Opinions.
1: Forgive me if I were...
3: Taking me back to 1994, Tuscadero
0: with Leather Idol from the Pink Album. Mr. Cott, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have a fine band out of San Francisco blending western pop and African drumming, the Dodos, in the studio for an interview and a live performance. As always, Greg, we have some
3: thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions was produced by our perfectly progressive team of Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. And our fearless leader, our executive producer, is Tori Southside Malatea, a man who knows a thing or two about surfing topographic oceans. Sound opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages.
0: Hi, this is Jeffrey from Atlanta, and I just got done listening to your podcast on scary songs and I thought you left out one that was pretty good. It's from Big Black's first album Atomizer. is the leadoff track called Jordan, Minnesota, and it's about a true story of a child sex abuse ring that was rampant in the tiny little town of Jordan, Minnesota. And it had a. It's told from the
3: perspective of the actual abusers. Um, it had a terrifying chorus that said, "This will stay with you until you die." This is Jordan. We do what we like. And this will stay. really, I thought, express the callousness of the attackers. Thanks, Mike.
1: Hey, that was a beautiful segment by Grizzly Bear. Um, this is Shirin from Carborough, North Carolina. It seems to me, though, that um, if the lead singer is in the le- next left piece is not strongly influenced by the late great Jim no. Buckley, then he's surely channeling him, which is a good thing. I think that at any given time it's good to have someone on earth with a voice as beautiful as that. Thanks. Bye-bye. So I'll ask you kindly to make your way in what was left a perfect This is John from San Francisco. I was listening to uh, your show with Grizzly Bear. I'd never heard them before. I'm listening to it thinking, well, it's kind of boring. But then, at the end, you get them on the record saying they love Michael McDonald and the Doobie Brothers. So, yes, they are boring. They have bad taste in music. And you guys have done your job as journalists to get that on the record. Thanks for doing your job. Love the show. You could some substance as long as you lie I'll just wait out the evening Long always ask me why yes you're lonely
0: your opinion on Sound Opinions call our hotline 1-888-859-1800 we'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media
1: the Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits perfect for seeing Taylor Swift the Eras tour Presented by Capital One. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel.
3: Enjoy your stay in Suite Thirteen.
1: Wow, thirteen—that's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.